Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Glue Guys podcast. Luke Pagoni here with you once again. I know we took another long break from our last episode, and that was due to a mix of things as COVID and schoolwork made it pretty difficult to record. But either way, Lee and I are back. We're here recording a new episode. Lee, how are you doing today? You happy to be back? I feel like I've asked you that question way too many times for a podcast, but I'm going to ask it again. I am thrilled to be back. No matter how long it's been between recordings, it's always been too long. So it's fun to be back and I'm excited. Let's get after it. With this upcoming semester, I'm only taking one and a half credits worth of classes. So you're going to be getting a lot of content, whether it's from both of us or just me or just Lee, whatever it may be. We will certainly have more content for this upcoming semester. Now, Lee, you want to lead us in with our fun fact of the day. Yep, we're going short and sweet. Ladies and gentlemen, the moon has moonquakes, not earthquakes, moonquakes. That's all you need to know. We're moving forward. Let's get after it. You don't even need to know the difference because I don't even need to know the difference. So let's get right into it. This week's rant of the week will be from yours truly. And it's actually more of a happy one. And it's about how the Jets have finally fired Adam Gase. Well, it's not not happy for Adam, is it? No, it's not happy for him. But considering his coaching record over the past two years and with the Dolphins, it shouldn't come as a surprise. It looks like he's going to be getting the OC job uh, in Tuscaloosa. So I don't think he's doing too bad. He, he, good luck with that. Good luck with that, Adam. But after what was a promising seven and nine season a year ago in 2019, the inevitable firing of Gase, it finally happened. And now the Jets will look yet again for another head coach. And you look at this Jets team, I think it's one of the better scenarios in the NFL. Lee and I are going to get into the head coach opening rankings in a bit. But you look at the Jets scenario right now. They have the second overall pick in this year's draft. And I think there's some quality QB options. I think the fact that Trevor Lawrence is in this class has kind of diminished the opinions of others on the other QBs, such as Justin Fields and Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. But let's say Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this class. There would certainly be talk of one of those guys going number one overall. But because of how good Trevor Lawrence is, those quarterbacks have been pushed down. Now, that because of that, the Jets picking Justin Fields or Zach Wilson, it's being viewed as an okay pick, but not the best pick. But either way, they have the second overall pick, which is a positive. They have Seattle's first-round pick for this year and next year, courtesy of the Jamal Adams trade. So Joe Douglas, four first-round picks to work with over the next two years, assuming the head coach they hire will not be gone after the first season. He's going to be involved in those four draft picks. And they're second in the NFL in cap space, in available cap space for this upcoming summer. So you come in and you have so much opportunity. And then you look at the roster. It's not as bad as some people make it out to be. You got Makai Becton, who was hit the nail on the head draft pick by Joe Douglas this year. You have Marcus May, who really stepped up with Jamal Adams being out. While he won't need to be resigned, I think the Jets will get that done. News came out today that he's certainly a priority this offseason. You got Quinn and Williams, who took a ginormous step forward during his second year. You got Denzel Mims as a wide receiver. When healthy, he looked really good. And even Bryce Hall, cornerback out of West Virginia, or out of Virginia, excuse me, a late pick, still showed flashes throughout the year, especially at the end of the year. So with all these possibilities, The message is clear. You cannot mess this up if you're the Jets making this head coaching hire. You simply can't. Now, you look at what the Giants did with Joe Judge in New York. Yes, they went 6-10 and this year, but Judge has proven so far to be a great hire. People in New York love him. He's been respected around the league so far, and he'll be coaching the New York Giants, I think, for a long time. Brian Flores built a great culture in Miami, a below-average QB, and they still went 10-6. and Sean McDermott, Buffalo, best season since the 90s. I mean, this Bills team, they look like Super Bowl contenders. Simply put, your division, look at the Dolphins, 
Look at the Bills. And then you still got Bill Belichick there. Your division has improved immensely. And the Jets right now are the odd man out. And if they don't make a smart hire, if they don't get this head coaching hire correct, they'll continue to be the odd man out for the next decade. Yep. There's a big opportunity in New York. But as we've seen, unfortunately, time and time again, you can also get it very, very wrong. All of our fingers are crossed for the Jets to nail this. Joe Douglas has a lot of votes of confidence, I think, from Jets fans. You especially. I know you're very, very high on him. Yeah. I'm not as knowledgeable of the ins and outs of the New York Jets franchise, but from what we've discussed, I really think that Douglas has this franchise moving in the right direction. And honestly, that's all you can hope for for a team that's going to have the number two back in the NFL draft. I, I really like the Douglas hire when it first happened, and then the moves he's made so far and getting two first-round picks for Jamal Adams – Drafting Mekhi Becton, drafting Denzel Mims, and just what he's done so far has been really positive. And the fact that the fact that Philly's drafting and Philly's roster has kind of diminished since Joe Douglas has left speaks volumes of how impactful he was to that Philly team. And he was obviously part of that Super Bowl run. So that's where my vote of confidence from Joe Douglas comes in. I mean, you look at what he's done, and I think what he will do with all this opportunity, as long as he gets his head coaching higher right, I've already harped on it. This cannot be messed up if you're the New York Jets. And a lot of times in the past with the Jets, since the Sean McVay hire, really, I've wanted someone coaching the Jets who's offensive-minded or defensive-minded, someone who's a specialty. But it's been proven now, especially this year, with Joe Judge and Brian Flores last year and Sean McDermott over the last couple of years, you just need a head coach who's going to be a complete leader and just build a fantastic culture. You want someone who's going to inspire the players, who's going to bring confidence from the fans, and who's going to be on the same page as the front office. Because you can see what happens where – you'll have a great roster, but you won't have the right pieces in the front office. Or you've got great management, but you don't have everyone on the same page when it comes to handling the players. Mm -hmm. And it can really turn a great situation sour. One of the teams that's on our list for a great hiring spot is Houston. You saw the video today of J.J. Watt talking to Deshaun Watson. The players on that Texans roster know every year they have Deshaun Watson under contract is precious. And they know that they just wasted one. When you have the right pieces, you have to get it right. Otherwise, you're not going to win. Mm -hmm. That parlays us nicely into kind of what we're going to go into next year. What do we think the best landing spots are for new head coaches? We touched on this kind of similarly with the draft order and the quarterbacks. Number one is Jacksonville because you're getting the best draft talent we've seen arguably in the last decade. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. We, Lee and I, we have a list here. Jacksonville, I think number one for both of us. I mean – you look at Trevor Lawrence, you look at what he's done over the past couple of years, and even since high school. I mean, this guy has been hyped up literally since high school. I mean, that's not an exaggeration. He's one of the most hyped up prospects we've ever seen within the NFL draft process. And Jacksonville now, I mean, you look at that team, they got some good receivers in DJ Chark, LaVisca Chenault really played well down the stretch. You get a new head coach now, some pieces on defense. They drafted CJ Henderson, they drafted Josh Allen. They have pieces, and they have the Rams' first-round pick this year, courtesy of the Jalen Ramsey trade, and the most salary cap in the league because they haven't been paying anyone because they completely tore apart their roster. So for me, and I think for Lee right now, Jacksonville has to be the number one spot considering the potential there. They instantly become must-watch TV because the entire league is going to want to tune in to watch Trevor Lawrence play football. And it kind of sucks for him to go to Jacksonville instead of a big market like New York. But again, he's won everywhere he's gone. And I'm not rubbing it in, Luke. I'm saying this is from his perspective, not just the Jets. I think everyone saw it as a match made in heaven. Things didn't go that way. The Jets are going to be fine. They've got good people in the charge. But on to number two, 
I think we both have the Chargers. Yeah. Justin Herbert looks like a quarterback who can legitimately help a team win a Super Bowl right now. Mm-hmm. No, like, Justin Herbert. Not anything because he's on a rookie deal. Yep. Justin Herbert is looked like a certified gunslinger his rookie year. I mean, he came out, and yes, he's got a plethora of weapons: Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Austin Eckler. He did it. At, he did it without Austin Eckler for a lot of the season. But point being, he's got Hunter Henry in there as well. But point being, he just came out and didn't look like a rookie. He came out and looked like a top 12 NFL quarterback. And to do that with a head coach who's been fired as of this recording and so many injuries on their defense and you get to play the chiefs twice and you know, a tough NFL schedule, the Raiders aren't bad. I mean, it's, it's so impressive as to what he done. And while Justin Jefferson had a great rookie year, I do think Justin Herbert is the no doubt offensive rookie of the year. It's, one of the most fascinating things we've ever seen where a quarterback in his first NFL season well surpasses the ceiling that we saw of him when he was in college, where there's a general consensus that his college coach almost held him back, which is very odd and very unique to this situation. Um, Herbert looked like someone had kind of uh, almost cut him loose. Like you called him a gunslinger. Mm -hmm. He was playing free. He was playing confidently. He was throwing the ball all over the field, dropping yep. into tight pockets, looking very, very confident. Chargers fans have a lot to be excited about. And if they continue to draft well, and if they continue to develop those pieces on offense, and if they can get a strong defense in place, they're probably not going to win the division much because of how good Kansas City is with Mahomes. But mm-hmm. if they're in the playoffs every year, they can make a lot of noise. And you mentioned how he may have been limited in college and how now he's really been so efficient in the NFL. It's usually the opposite. Usually we're getting quarterbacks who are so efficient and put up these crazy numbers in college and then come into the NFL and aren't as good, which is a perfect example of the guy drafted directly in front of him into a tag of Iloa. And then you mentioned the defense, this Chargers defense, they have so much talent. They just haven't been able to stay healthy. You got Derwin James coming back who we haven't really seen in full capacity since his rookie year. He was an all pro player. He was fantastic. Joey Bosa, Melvin Ingram, Casey Hayward, Chris Harris, they just haven't been able to stay healthy. Kenneth Murray was a first-round pick from this year. So they get the right head coach, same as the Jets. I think they're a little obviously more accelerated in the process. But if they can get the head coach right, I think they're the clear number twos in that division and can certainly compete with the Chiefs in number one, considering they have the quarterback to do so. And in terms of a year that's not the worst year to kind of, I guess, not have a healthy defense – You've got a rookie quarterback, expectations are low, and now you're going to be moving into a new season if things hopefully go how everyone in the world hopes they go. You'll have a full offseason where you'll actually get to integrate all of your different players together. They're going to get to spend time with each other. You're going to get to have a normal preseason. And all of this time with a new coach who will be bringing in a new culture. And while that may be viewed as a disadvantage in some scenarios, I think it could be argued that Anthony Lynn at moments was so incompetent whatever the new coach is that whoever the new coach is, it's going to be a net positive that the, the shift from coach to coach, which is usually a regression. The baseline is so low from Lynn that whoever it is, if it's the right hire, it's going to be a positive. Mm-hmm. 100% agree. Now looking at three, four, five, and six, I'll go through it quickly. I got the jets at three Houston at four Atlanta at five and Detroit at six. Now one, two, I think those two are interchangeable in Jacksonville and the charges. And then I think there's a bit of a drop-off in three. Each team, you can point out some major flaw. The Jets, I mentioned some talent on the roster, but I still think you have to answer the quarterback question. There's still obviously talent issues on the roster. Four, with Houston, yes, you have the quarterback in Deshaun Watson, but 
You lose that third overall pick this year because of the Laramie Tunsil trade. Your defense is atrocious, and it was all year. So I think Bill O'Brien has left that team in such a hole that whoever's coming in, whoever the next regime is, is going to have to come in and work some magic. And number five, Atlanta. I That team, another team loaded with talent, just can never, ever stay healthy. Matt Ryan, though, it scares me that he's he hasn't dropped off significantly, but he's approaching that age where you have to kind of worry about a new quarterback. Could they be looking at Justin Fields at number four or Zach Wilson or Trey Lance? We'll see. At number six, Detroit, I just think they need a whole culture reshift. They don't have really much talent on the defensive side of the ball. Jeff Okuda was a massive disappointment this season. Matt Stafford, will he return? A lot of questions to be answered in Detroit, but but all these openings in their own way are attractive. So, Lee, what do you think about three, four, five, six? I think you're right. I think they're pretty interchangeable. Um, I think – Honestly, it's kind of crazy to say, but the Jets might have the most positive momentum from the end of the season, which sounds very, very odd, but they won a couple games and they looked like a solid football team. What do you want the Jets to do with the number two pick? Are see, you this is, thinking a quarterback or do you want Panay well? See, this is a question I've been asked a lot already. And after watching Sam Darnold versus the New England Patriots on Sunday, you can't not take a quarterback with the number two pick. I mean, you look at how Justin Fields played against Clemson. He was a complete baller. He played injured and still took out the number two team in the country. If he does that versus Alabama, plays that well, it's hard not to look at him at number two. Zach Wilson came onto the scene this year and was absolutely amazing for BYU. And you look at how Sam Donham has played over his three years. Yes, I realize with Adam Gase, every offensive player is limited. I mean, I can go down the list right now. Ryan Tannehill, Kenyon Drake. Jarvis Landry, Kenny Stills, guys who have gone on to other teams and been wildly successful after not being effective for Adam Gase. But I think it's just time for a fresh start for both these sides. I mean, you look at Sam, he struggled immensely. This number two pick, you're getting a new quarterback on a rookie deal. And it's just, it's just, you can't pass it up in my opinion. I mean, yes, drafting Penny Sewell would be awesome. That offensive line would then, you're making it almost Cowboys-like from back in the early 2010s, 11s, 12s, when they had Tyron Smith, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, the big three right there. The Jets are building something similar to that, and that proved immensely helpful for Tony Romo and Dak Prescott. But right now, if I had to say you're taking a quarterback, I don't know who, though. That's a very, 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 very important question that's going to be answered. Yeah. Hopefully a lot of Jets fans, but more importantly, the Jets front office. Exactly. I think this will be one of the most anticipated NFL drafts in a long time. I am, of- yeah, th- this this will be the most anticipated pick for the Jets since 2018. I remember that 2018 draft when Baker went first, Sam went third, Saquon Barkley went second, Josh Allen went seventh, Josh Rosen went 15th. No one knew anything. John Dorsey didn't even tell the Browns owner who they were picking in that pick. And the Jets pick resulted, the Jets pick was going to be based on the Cleveland pick. So I love that draft. I love the excitement leading up to the NFL draft. Last year, there wasn't as much excitement with the Jets, obviously pretty much going O-line at 11. And this upcoming draft for the New York Jets, it's massive. And I'm so glad that I'm not the one making the main decision. I've said that so much already that I'm just happy that this is coming down to Joe Douglas and the Jets front office. That'll just about do it for us talking about the openings. They're all exciting in their own way. We hope that these teams can all make good hires because – Good football teams are good for people who talk about football, and that's yeah. us. Let's, yeah, let's, yeah, let's move on to those good football teams. And it's playoff time. I mean, this is the best part of the year. We're getting to see the best teams go at it now. Now, for those who don't know, if you don't know, then shame on you because you should, that the NFL added another playoff team this year. So instead 
of two wildcard teams. There are now three. And as a result of this, the number two seed no longer gets a first round buy. So only the one seed from each conference gets a first round buy for the playoffs this year and for future years. So this year in the NFC, the Packers, they finished with the first seed in the NFC and the Kansas City Chiefs, no surprise there with Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid. They get the one seed in the AFC. And it's unfortunate for the New Orleans Saints and the Buffalo Bills because they now have to play a wild card matchup. Now let's go through the NFC matchups first. New Orleans Saints, Chicago Bears, two versus seven. While yes, it is unlucky the Saints have to play, I don't think they'll have to stress too much about this matchup. Yeah, I believe this is the game that's going to be on Nickelodeon. Um, So that'll be fun. And it's been really cool to see Mitch kind of turn around and lead the Bears to the playoffs. But you make a great point here. He's yet to show he can do it on the big stage. And the Saints are one of the most complete rosters in football. So I think he'd have a pretty hard task. And uh, I think we both like the Saints in this one. Yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say on this matchup. The Bears defense is going to have to play out of their minds to really limit Drew Brees. Alvin Kamara or not, I still think Sean Payton will deeply outcoach Matt Nagy. And this Bears offense just doesn't have the firepower to go down the field on Marshawn Lattimore, DeMario Davis, Marcus Davenport, Cam Jordan. The list goes on. And they're in New Orleans. They played the last two years in the regular season, both in Chicago and New Orleans made their offense look like a high school offense. So certainly going with the Saints there. Um, and then you got Washington, the Washington football team versus the Tampa Bay Bucks. Another not great matchup, in my opinion. It's a great story. Washington gets in, wins the NFC East. But listen, they're going against Tom Brady, who is on fire right now. This Tampa Bay Bucks team, 11-5. and five. It's hard for me to see Washington really being competitive in this game, regardless of how good their defense is. They struggled to beat Philly on Sunday night when Philly was literally tanking in front of us. So I don't see them beating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't either, but this is, again, another cool game because – you're going to see a lot of young players for Washington get some really, really valid, some really, really valuable experience in the playoffs against one of the best quarterbacks of all time and a very, very, very good Tampa Bay Buccaneers team. So again, this isn't a season where Washington fans were expecting to win a title, but if you're trying to build a culture, a free playoff game where you get some experience on national television and under the spotlight, Ron Rivera will never say no to that. And I want to add, I mean, what a story and a season from Washington Completely hectic offseason to a division champ. That just shows what a competent, smart, culture-building head coach does. Really amazing to see. Moving on to the last game within the NFC. I guess this can be counted as a good game considering it is a divisional matchup. But if Jared Goff does not play in this Seattle Seahawks versus Los Angeles Rams playoff game, then I don't see John Wolford keeping this game close. Nope. The firepower we've seen when the Seahawks have been under the lights and in primetime. They are so damn fun to watch. And it'd be really, really fun to see that kind of old playoff Seahawks kind of get their swagger back. And like you said, no golf, I think, means no dice for uh, the Rams. I do think Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey and that Rams defense will keep them in this game a while. It was the same thing they did in week 16. These two teams met in week 16 in Seattle, and it was a close game for a while. Goff did play in that game, but Russell Wilson sprinkled some of his magic and the Seahawks pulled away late, ended up clinching their division. But with no Goff, they're not going to be able to run the ball. They haven't been able to really run it efficiently all year. They're not going to be able to pass well. They're not going to be able to establish the play action. And Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, they can't stop Russell Wilson forever. So I think Seahawks will just become too powerful as this game goes on. They advance to the next round. And that pushes us into the AFC, which has, on the contrary, three really exciting matchups that I cannot wait to get into. First of all, Number two seeded Buffalo Bills finishing 13-3 and three will take on 
the seven-seeded Indianapolis coach who finished 11 and five. Keep this in mind. Last year, they would not have made the playoffs as a seven seed going 11 and five. That's crazy out of the AFC this year. Yeah, I think with the uh, release that the Bills are going to be able to have fans at their game, that stadium is going to be electric, even though it's only like, what, 6,700 people? Yeah, a little Bills understand. Mafia, a playoff game at home. Man, I'm excited for that. And as you touched on in these notes here, the Bills are flying. They yeah. are in insane form. They have been playing out of their mind. Josh Allen is seeing the field right now and seeing his receivers and just overall seeing the entire game like no other quarterback in the league right now. I mean, what he's done over the last couple of weeks in the Denver game and the New England game and then in a half versus a really good Miami defense is remarkable. It's MVP level football. And I'm excited because this Colts defense been top of the NFL all year versus this hot Josh Allen and this potent Bills offense. It's a mono e mono type matchup. And then you have mono e mono in terms of head coaches. Sean McDermott, I talked about him building this great culture. Frank Reich, some people might argue, is a top five coach in the NFL. So we're going to get a great matchup here. I do think the Bills will pull away late. They're my favorite in this game. Next up, we have the number three seed Pittsburgh Steelers versus the number six seed Cleveland Browns. This game, as of this morning, Kevin Stefanski, the Browns head coach, and several Brown players tested positive for COVID-19. And it's a shame. It really is because, I mean, yes, they're obviously not completely knocked out of the game. You know, nothing is done until it's actually done. But it's hard to see Cleveland winning this game, especially when they struggled with Pittsburgh this past Sunday when Pittsburgh played Mason Rudolph and the Browns were playing for their playoff lives. Yeah, this kind of feels like a game that was building up to be awesome. It's like rivalry with everything on the line. And then it kind of feels like the COVID diagnosis is the COVID positive results kind of just kick the game in the teeth where it never really is going to get a chance to kind of grow to its full fruition. Mm -hmm. Any team that's playing without a head coach, you could argue that they're going to rally around him and they're going to try and win for him, but it's not the same. It's, it's that presence not there on the sidelines. There's just going to be so many more questions running through the Browns players heads. And yes, they're professionals, but you're emotional people. They're athletes, they're humans. Mm -hmm. So you're going to be asking a lot of these Browns players to, go out there and play without their coach and without all these teammates. It might just be too much. Hopefully it's a good game for a while because this is the best shot Cleveland's had in a while to kind of do anything in the playoffs. Obviously it's the first time making it in a very long time, but it just feels like this game's had the wind taken out of its sails before it really got a chance to get going. And I think even, even if Stefanski was coaching in this game, because I wrote these predictions down prior to the news coming out, I still think Cleveland's too one dimensional and I don't think Baker Mayfield can go and win this game on his own. I mean, Minka Fitzpatrick, TJ Watt, Joe Hayden, Steelers are good on all three levels of defense. And the Browns are going to need more than just the run. And that's what they've depended on all year with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. And Baker Mayfield going to have to be this gunslinger type quarterback who comes out and throws all over the Pittsburgh Steelers. And especially with that OBJ, I just don't really see it happening. And while the Browns defense is good, I think they can really make life complicated for Big Ben. I think Big Ben got the playoff experience. They're playing in Pittsburgh. We're here where he's historically better. And I think he'll just, similar to the Buffalo and Indianapolis game, I think he'll just pull away late, prove to be too much muscle power for the Browns to deal with. Now, lastly, maybe the game I'm most excited for, the Tennessee Titans and the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore will visit Tennessee as the five seed, Tennessee the four seed. And listen, the Tennessee Titans knocked out the Ravens a year ago, and the Ravens proceeded to base their entire offseason around stopping Derrick Henry. 
who was responsible for that Raven knockout. I mean, he ran all over Earl Thomas, that Ravens defense. I mean, they drafted Patrick Queen. They went and signed Calais Campbell. They signed Yannick Ngakwe. And, you know, we wanted to see how that worked out. Well, they played week 11, and they actually did a pretty nice job of keeping Henry in check in the first half. And then the well-known idea that he gets stronger as the game goes on came into effect. He finished with 28 for 133 and a touchdown, and the touchdown came on a 29-yard OT game winner. So very excited to see just that matchup in general, Derrick Henry versus the Ravens defense. It's also a tremendous coaching matchup. you got John Harbaugh, who's won a Super Bowl with the Ravens, and they're a perennial playoff team. And then you got Mike Rabel, who took over last year, took the Titans to the AFC championship game and has now led them back to a playoff berth. And lastly, I think the main storyline for this game actually, or maybe not more so than Derrick Henry versus the Ravens defense, but Lamar Jackson has to win a playoff game. It's that simple. All the regular season accolades are wonderful, but we know what truly matters by the time one finishes their career and that's winning. And he has not done that in the playoffs so far. His rookie year, the Chargers defense completely stifled him and the entire Ravens offense in that 2018 playoff game was non-existent. And okay, fine. You want to give him a pass? It's his rookie year. Okay. Next year, comes in versus the Titans last year. 14-2, and unanimous MVP. Yes, Derrick Henry ran all over the Ravens defense, but you still turned the ball over multiple times and you failed to execute in last year's game. Listen, it's time to nut up or shut up if you're Lamar Jackson. You have to win this game or else you're going to hear critics for the next year talking about how you can't get it done in the spotlight. Yeah, this game is going to be so damn fun. There's so many fun playoff games. I can't wait. I know you can't wait. I love football. It's so fun to watch. And now we That's- got – it's the super playoff weekend. That's something we forgot to really mention in the beginning. This With the extra seeds, we get another game each day. It's not just two per day now. We get games – I think it's 1, 440, and probably 830. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. But both Saturday and Sunday, we get three games. It's football all day. Injected into my veins. Let's go. Now, before we move on to the Prem, which is – our next main talking point. I just want to talk about why this year for the NFL has just been awesome. And, you know, these playoffs are shaping up, like Lee said, to be so good and so fantastic. Now, the fact that we even got to see every team complete their 16 games is remarkable. I mean, given the mindset that many fans had, including me in August, that, you know, the season wouldn't get done completely. I think it's remarkable that they were even able to get all 16 teams done and have this feel as close to a normal season as possible. And also, I loved the variety in terms of nationally televised games. Now, typically we see Dallas, Pittsburgh, the Giants, the Patriots, whoever it may be, teams, big markets. This year, we got to see the Bills on multiple nationally televised games, the Browns, the Cardinals, the Titans. It was awesome seeing these more or less small market franchises be put in the spotlight and really succeed. I mean, people got to see Josh Allen's brilliance and Kyler Murray's quickness and just Derrick Henry throw guys to the floor. It was absolutely amazing out of the NFL this year. And that leads me to my last point. The overall playoff picture. Yes, we just went into it, but we get to see Josh Allen play Phillip Rivers and the Colts in a 2020 playoff game. Those two have a 15-year difference between each other. I mean, it's just awesome seeing this kind of competition within the NFL. We get Baker versus Big Ben, Drew Brees versus Mitch Trubisky, Tom Brady versus Alex Smith. That's kind of an old-time one, but Either way, my point by bringing this up is that all these quarterbacks, their age varies greatly. And I just think that's awesome for the league, for someone like me to be able to watch Phillip Rivers in the league since 2006 and to go up against someone like Josh Allen, who I read about, scouted myself, who was drafted three years ago, I think it's just so cool. It's really, really good to see how 
solid the league is and how it's in safe hands. Uh, it's something that's talked about a ton in the NBA with who the next guy is or kind of the next guy who's going to have the torch handed to him. I think the NFL, it's obviously a very different league, much more of an owner's league than a player's league. But quarterbacks are important and stars are important. And every year now, I feel like we're seeing more and more stars begin to flourish. And not even just rookies or sophomores or guys in their third year. It's guys that are moving from teams where they've been since they were drafted and they're into new spots and they're thriving. And I think we're seeing stars in different aspects of the game. Defensive guys are getting more love. Aaron Donald, TJ Watt, all these guys who are really, really, really generating energy and spotlight and excitement. And it's cool to see the league grow. Certainly. Now it's going to move us on to the Premier League. Not much to really talk about, but we'll hit on some things. Liverpool right now look like the old Liverpool, the pre-Jurgen Klopp Liverpool. I mean, they're winless over their last three games, and they most recently lost to Southampton, 1-0, courtesy of a goal from Danny Ings, the former Liverpool player. Yeah, and uh, Liverpool fans might want to turn the music down, but sheesh, Trent Alexander-Arnold. 38 giveaways and not even a full 90 minutes. That's the most of any player in the entire Premier League this season. That is difficult to do. That is hard. That's in 78. He was taken out in the 78th minute, had 38 takeaways. That's that's every two minutes around, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's around every two minutes he gave the ball away. That is absurd. That is especially especially when Southampton are just sitting deep. Like, yeah, I understand he's a very creative player and he likes to go forward and kind of create chances and take risks. But 38 is a lot. So, again, like Luch touched on, they don't have the same bounce to them. They, for the last probably two or three years, it's always felt like going into just about every game, Liverpool is going to win. Um, and as much as it pains me to say that as an Evertonian, it's true. I've watched a lot of Liverpool games, so we're going to lose, but it always felt like when push came to shove, someone was going to score and they were going to win. Because that's just – Exactly. It felt like every bounce was going to go their way, as Luke and I said at the same time, um, because of the way the team was constructed. And And it just feels like people are starting to figure them out a little bit. Now, as a result of all this, we must really be going back in time. Manchester United are tied with Liverpool right now, top of the league, and they have a game in hand. And they'll try to take a three-point advantage when they play Burnley on January 12th. And then three days later, on January 15th, the two will play at Anfield in a FIFA term marquee matchup. It'll be a huge game for momentum because at that point, I'm not sure who Liverpool play between now and then, but even if they win the games that they've got between now and then, they'll have not won in at best two out of five games. And at worst, they could be on the mid of a five game skid. I don't think they'll lose the next two games. I'm not sure they play, but they could be at the midst of a five-game skid. And it's early to say it could sink them, but if Liverpool continue in this vein of form and they, again, lose at home to Manchester United, who credit where credit is due, I think he's kind of a rat. But Bruno Fernandes is one of the best players in the Premier League. He's unbelievable. Bringing in guys like Edison Cavani seems to have worked out well. He scores goals. That team is just picking right now. I don't know what it is. I'm not sure. There's a lot of players in that team, two of me, who are very underwhelming, but it's working. Um, that game could be a serious kick in the teeth to Liverpool, who are trying to make a big-time title defense right now. And rounding out the top five in the Prem, Leicester City sit at 32 points, 17 games played. Tottenham, 29 points, 16 games played. And Man City, 
who we haven't talked about a lot, I think really at all, can swoop on in with 29 points and 15 games played. So they got two games in hand over Liverpool and Leicester City. So Lee, if not Liverpool, who is your favorite out of these other top four right now between United, Leicester City, Tottenham, and Manchester City? It's got to be Man City because they've done it. And they've done it with a lot of the core of the squad they have now. You see it a lot where teams will make a push and they kind of come up short because there's so much that goes into winning a Premier League title. And it was so painful to watch Liverpool do it last year, but they were so dominant and they looked so sure of themselves and so confident. And I think Man City have so much of the DNA of a team that has won it and can win it again. I also think Pep has a point to prove because he's kind of just been cast aside as almost like lesser when it comes to the Klopp argument. And now people are even throwing in some other managers ahead of him. And I think he probably is taking a little bit personally. And honestly, another huge side of this is if you're trying to attract Lionel Messi, you got to be winning. So city has got a lot to play for right now. And I also think Kevin De Bruyne is starting to find his form. Phil Foden's coming into his own. I think that you watch Man City, who pretty much with their like B minus team dismantled Chelsea, who are reeling in their own vein. But honestly, I think if I had to pick one, I'm going Man City just for the fact that it's such a wide open league right now. And there's only a few teams who've done it in the last few years, and Man City is one of them. Yeah, it's it's tough not to pick Man City, especially like you said, they've done it before and the amount of talent they have on that team, it's honestly hard to imagine how they even lose one game. And then you mix in Pep. I don't think they've won anything since the Prem title, not last year, obviously, but two years ago. And I don't – may have to fact-check me on that. But I believe they won uh, the League Cup okay. uh, last year or the year before. But that's, you're right. They haven't won anything major, notably European, since yeah. they won the Premier League title. Who'd they go out to? Was it, I, f- I completely forget. It was Leon in the semis. Everyone was yes. thrilled because it was like, oh my gosh, they got the easy draw because it was Leipzig, PSG, Leon, and City. And City fans were thrilled when they got Leon because Leon was clearly the inferior team. Um, yeah. It might have been in the quarters, actually. Yeah, it's quarters. It was the quarters. Yeah. And um, they got the easiest draw by a pretty long shot because no one really thought that Leon team was anything special. And Pep overthought it and he tried to do too much and just put his players in a weird spot and they, they kind of fumbled themselves out of the Champions League. So they've got uh, Mushin and Gladbach in the round of 16 this year. They should take care of them handily. If they get into form in the league, hopefully they get that belief back in their system and they can go and win a couple trophies. Yeah, and the year before was the Tottenham fiasco where they scored, but it was ruled out by VAR. But we'll certainly be interesting to see. I think you're also going to look at United. I mean, you look at the talent on that roster, you look at the way – Bruno Fernandes and Marcus Rashford are playing right now. And then with Eric Bailly back, we'll see if that'll add an extra boost. And then Tottenham, you can never count out Jose Mourinho. Huang son is fantastic. World yeah, he's world, world class. class. He's, he's incredible. So the Prem will certainly be an exciting rest of the season. Last year, you could have written off Liverpool's winners. I don't even know how early it was. You remember? Honestly, by now at this point. I think yeah, by now was- they already had like a 12-point lead. And it's just the agony was setting in. It was so drawn out last year. It was yeah. the worst because there was like the three or four month delay because no one was playing because of COVID. And on top of that, they were already up by like 26 points. So they just got to drag it out so long and it was awful. So I'm thoroughly enjoying them stuttering right now. And moving on to our last topic, really, as we wrap this up, this will be quick. The NBA. Just want to talk about the New York Knicks. Leo talk about LaMelo Ball and the Hornets. But the Knicks, 
The New York Knicks are over 500. And no, it's not just because they won the first game of the season. They are four and three through seven games. They're four and three. And it's, it hasn't been a fluky four and three run. They look like somewhat of a decent NBA basketball team. And it's amazing. This points back to the Jets and other NFL arguments. What a quality coach. It's amazing what a quality coach can do for an organization. And these Knicks, night in and night out, they're fighting. They're playing for each other. They actually look like they're interested in being there and winning games. Honestly, it's good to see good basketball being played again in MSG. It's what it deserves. It's the Mecca. Good for the league when the Knicks are good at basketball. It's like when in college football, USC is good, uh-huh. but it hasn't been like that in a while. Or when Texas is good. It's like when in college basketball, UCLA is good. It's one of those teams that the sport was built on, and it feels wrong that they haven't been good in a long time. So I, yeah, I if just you can get fans back in that building when we eventually can. That place is going to be rocking if the Knicks are in contention for a playoff spot. I've been enjoying the classic Nick Twitter trolling guys who are like, they're still bad. They're not good. They're still, they're still not a title contender. Obviously, they're not a title contender, but they're playing competitive basketball, which they haven't done since the mellow playoff days. So just leave us alone, okay? Let, let us enjoy our, our little bit of success. And it's all because, really, not all because, but Julius Randle right now is playing the best basketball of his career and somewhat MVP-level basketball, which is crazy to say. Like, I, I can't even say that with a straight face. Yeah, um, I think Randall last year was frustrating because you felt like he was stunting the growth of a lot of young guys, especially Mitchell Robinson, because he was taking up space inside and all this stuff. But he looks dominant this year. And I think there is the risk with Thibodeau where things always start off very well with him, no matter where he's gone. And it's kind of like things slowly erode because you get to the end of the season and guys are tired and he's still pushing and he's not, hey, guys, he's, yeah. he's not I mean, taking his foot off I, the gas. So that there's something I've noticed be- that he's plays eight, seven, eight guys and play 42, 43 minutes. And it's like, these guys are going to be exhausted by the time we hit the end. But something else I've also been really happy with has been RJ Barrett. I mean, he's been overshadowed a bit by Julius Randall, but RJ Barrett is playing good basketball right now. He's not shooting particularly great, but he's shooting more and he's scoring more as a result of it. And he's just overall looks like more of that polished third overall pick that Knicks fans hope they were getting. After last year, I think there was a lot of Knicks fans who were like, God damn it, this kid's a bust. Because he never really did anything to inspire any confidence from anyone. Mm-hmm. So to see him playing well, regardless of him being a dookie, is exciting. He's a good ball player. He deserves to be playing good basketball. And he deserves to be getting some, some love for it. On to the Hornets. They still suck, but they suck in pretty uniforms. And they suck while having fun. So, honestly, I hope they still suck for the rest of the year so we can keep getting pieces. Also, this is completely irrelevant, but Nick Batum's wife went on Twitter the other day saying that they got, like, screwed by the Hornets. Nick Batum got paid a max contract to do nothing for three years. He has no right to do anything other than kiss the feet of Michael Jordan and everyone who ever gave him a paycheck because he did nothing but rob the city of Charlotte and the Hornets franchise of tens of millions of dollars to do jack shit. So his wife should watch her goddamn mouth because she he did nothing for the Hornets after they paid him. Yeah, he's, That's all I have to say about that. He was, he was bought up his entire contract as a failure. And, I mean, it's warranted. He just simply was not very good. He but sucked. Seeing, seeing LaMelo do well obviously is painful. I mean, the Knicks were once again screwed by the lottery last year. And now I'm kind of on the – hopefully the Knicks finished – like eighth or ninth, and then somehow end up at one or two. Like, you know, that's what's happened. The Wolves got the first pick and the Warriors were two, which was pretty much chalk. 
But, you know, the Knicks were the worst team in the NBA on Zion's year. They ended up back at three in the Pelicans. I think moved up from like seven, eight, nine, whatever it may have been. Hopefully that can happen again. But maybe it's the formula. We never know. Yeah, we'll, we'll certainly get into a lot more NBA talk as the NFL season winds down and, you know, we learn more about more NBA teams. Now, before we finish off this episode, 2020 did come to an end. For this week's ranking stuff of the week, our list of the week, we have our top three sports moments in 2020. Couldn't really do top five because I don't have five sports moments to go over, and you'll see that when I go through my list. Lee, let's start off with you for number three. Yeah, my number three um, was probably – in the project restart when Christian Pulisic was arguably a top two or three player in the premier league, he carried that Chelsea team to a champions league spot. He dragged them out from wherever they were on the table and quite frankly, just gave them life and was inspiring us soccer fans around the world. And especially in the UK, because he has done a lot for European teams, taking American players seriously. We've seen the growth of Gio Reyna. Subsequently, we've seen Weston McKinney, thriving at Juventus. He's one of the most efficient players in all of Europe when it comes to chance creation, which everyone said was just a money move to sell jerseys. Very glad that's panning out. We see Tyler Adams week in and week out at Leipzig carrying that team, doing very, very well in the midfield. And we see guys who are really young making moves. Uh, Mark McKenzie last week um, sided with Genk. We see Brian Reynolds linked to Juventus. We see Reggie Cannon thriving at Botavista linked to Benfica. All these players are blazing trails from MLS to Europe or from wherever they're coming from setting the standard that American players should be and deserve to be taken seriously as very real talents in in Europe, which is thrilling because I've never felt this excited about a group of soccer players as an American soccer fan. Definitely exciting for us soccer. Um, For me at number three of my, of just an awful year in terms of sports for me, the New York Rangers won the draft lottery. They received their first overall pick in this year's draft. And I used to be a much larger follower of the NHL and of the Rangers, but really ever since, ever since I went to college, didn't really keep up with it. It's difficult to do when you don't really have TV access to them, but overall as kind of like Lee's version of the Carolina Panthers is somewhat of a fan. I guess you could say it was nice to see the Knicks get the first overall pick. Now, number two for me, the Rangers, you said the Knicks. Yes. I meant the Rangers. Excuse me on that. Number two for me, Steve Cohen being named the new owner of the New York Mets. This was an absolutely electrifying time to be a Mets fan. This was just awesome to see as the Wilpons are finally gone. My dad, who has raised me as a Mets fan since I was five, six years old, has always said, if the Wilpons are in charge, the Mets will never win anything. And he was right. They never, I, I, I'm, from when I was a fan, they never won anything. They did make the World Series, which was awesome, but they blew every single game they were in. Anyway, just having an owner who's openly been like, I'm going to sign this guy and we're going to make moves. We're going to change this, that. It's just awesome. The communication with the fans is wonderful. And I'm so excited to be a Mets fan for the present and the future. My number two is the Hornets getting the third pick in the lottery, um, which was unexpected. I always expect them to fall between like 14 and 11. So for them to get number three was absolutely electric. And then getting LaMelo Ball, they didn't screw it up. They didn't draft a random European guy. They got the guy who's going to put butts in seats when butts are allowed to be in seats. So for the first time in a long time, people give a shit about Hornets basketball. And um, that's exciting. So that's my number two. Sorry. I, I, Lee and I were together during that lottery and the anger, the jealousy between the Knicks moving down to eight 
and the Hornets, I think, jumping the Knicks and moving up to three was, I was like, this is a joke. This is comical. Like, this can't be real. When Luke gets really mad, he gets really quiet. And Luke was very quiet for the rest of that evening. Um, my number one to top things off has been the combination of kind of two things that kind of parlay into each other was first, um, Carlo Ancelotti taking control of Everton. I'd say um, this is like the one B one. The, the second part of this is definitely the one A. Yeah. Um, because he's totally revitalized a club that has felt kind of aimless for the last three or four years. There's energy, there's positivity, there's ambition, and it's totally changed how fans are reacting to the club. And it's really, really fun. Honestly, it's just fun being an Everton fan again, which is crazy. I haven't really been fun for most of my sentient life. Um, and tying into that was um, I got to watch Everton in person. Probably the best day of my life. Um, studying abroad before COVID hit. It was back in February. Um, I took a trip alone up to Liverpool from London, and I watched them beat Palace 2-1 in person. Unbelievable day. Um, or 3-1, fun, excuse me. Fun and, fact, Lee. Um, we left today, actually. We yep. were literally on the plane a year ago today. Yep. I remember. Um, wild so watching them in person was the culmination of a lifelong dream and uh, probably one of the best days of my life. So that was probably the best moment of sports for me in 2020. It was truly, truly, truly amazing. My number one sports moment is pretty sad, I guess you could say. But you look at, I mean, running down quickly, the Jets were awful. Cowboys lost Dak and were awful. The Mets, new owner was great, but they had a bad season. The Knicks fell down in the lottery and were awful, looked good so far. And the Rangers also were bounced in the first round of the playoffs. They were swept. So my number one moment was actually C.D. Lamb being drafted to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, the level of excitement in me when that pick happened is the reason why it's the number one. Steve Cohen, probably more impactful or definitely will be more impactful in the long run. But C.D. Lamb, the excitement I had when he was picked, unmatched. I mean, you look at this Dallas team, they didn't even need a wide receiver, but it was just like, as they say in Dallas, Team 40 Burger, just score, they're just going to score 40 points a game. It doesn't even matter if you can play defense, which you should go back and listen to our first, second, and third podcast when I talk about the Dallas defense. But I was just so excited, so filled with joy when that pick came in because it was just, it was just awesome. So a very unconventional year of sports moments, to say the absolute least. It's been so fun to get back doing this. I'll be back up at school soon. Along with Luke, we'll be able to do these together in person. And I can't wait. Like Luke said – Neither of us are taking um, a substantial amount of real classes this semester because we're both kind of pushing things off to the fall. Um, and we're going to be able to pump out a ton of content for you guys. And we're very, very excited. So yeah. thanks for tuning in and I'll let Luke take away the exit. Yeah. As Lee said, thank you guys for tuning in and we're going to have our next episode out after wildcard weekend or super wildcard weekend, because there'll be a lot to talk about with those games and the upcoming matchups that we'll have that following Saturday and Sunday. But again, thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed. We hope you enjoyed that the podcast is back and we can't wait to grind some more content. Thank you again and have a wonderful and safe rest of your day.